You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Cherry. I'm 23 years old, and sometimes I wonder if life was wasted on me. I take all the beautiful things to heart till I about die from it. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing. Hey, I'm really happy you're here. Why is that? Because I like you. But there never seems to be enough time to do. You're it for me. I feel the same way. I joined the army. Why would you do that? Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's gonna happen. <laughs> and it's a nightmare. My one true accomplishment was not dying. I have this noise in my head. It'll stop. One day it'll go quiet. I don't imagine that anyone goes in for a robbery if they're not in some kind of desperation. I've been at this a while now, and it's no secret what my face looks like. Get on the ground! One thing about robbing banks is you're mostly robbing women, so the last thing you want to be is rude. Ma'am, it's nothing personal. We're gonna make it through this. I love you. Can you look back to when you met the one you loved the most? And remember exactly how it was? What you saw in her that made you say yes, this is what I came here for. Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's gonna happen. And it's a nightmare. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Cherry, and the story is as follows. The wild journey of a disenfranchised young man from Ohio who meets the love of his life, only to risk losing her through a series of bad decisions and challenging life circumstances. The film is starring Tom Holland, Ciara Bravo, Jack Raynor, Michael Rispoli, and Jeff Wahlberg. It is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and written by Angela Russo-Ostot and Jessica Goldberg. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Will Mavity. Hello, hello. Okay, everyone. So we're talking about Cherry today. This is a Apple TV Plus exclusive, and it is reuniting Tom Holland, a.k.a. Spider-Man, with the Russo brothers who have directed him now in the Avengers films, Infinity War and Game, and also uh, brought him really to the big screen with Captain America uh, Civil War as Spider-Man. So... You know, they obviously have a very creative partnership going on here. And this was a movie that I know, uh, Will, uh, you had told us uh, pretty early on in the awards season race, hey, guys, I think Apple's going to release this movie called Cherry. And, you know, it might be a thing, may not be a thing come awards season, but they're planning on releasing it very, very last minute. And on paper, you know, it's like, okay, Russo Brothers working with Tom Holland in a non-superhero film. Uh, you read about what the story is based on this uh, this book, this uh, semi-autobiographical uh, novel by Nico Walker, which is, I guess, based on his own life in a lot of ways. And it's the kind of thing that on paper sounds exciting and sounds thrilling. And then you watch the movie and, well, let's put it this way. 
when this came out in theaters, uh, I think it was like February 26th or something like that. I remember seeing it up against uh, something else. And I remember saying to myself, okay, we're going to either review Cherry or this other thing. And we ended up doing the other thing. And I can't remember what it was right now. And I thought we were steering clear. I didn't think we were going to have to review Cherry. (laughs) And then I realized that Cherry was then being released on Apple TV (laughs) this weekend. And I saw that there were no other really big releases this weekend. And I was like, oh, God, we're going to have to talk about Cherry. (laughs) And so... I have now seen this two hour and 20 minute film two times to prepare for this review. And I need some serious help. I'm hurting people. I'm not feeling well. And it's not the drugs like it is in this movie. It's literally just this friggin movie. So. All right. Deep breath, everyone. Nicole, why don't you start us off? What did you think of Cherry? So. My overwhelming takeaway from Cherry is uh, that the Russos are not the ones that we should credit with the success of the films that they've made uh, for the MCU. Uh, I'm joking, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is a mess. Um, Like, honestly, Tom Holland, do a good film challenge. Uh, I... You know, I wanted to like this movie because I do think there's an interesting story at the heart of it. The book got really good reviews whenever it came out from what I could find. Uh, and I, I do admire a handful of things about it. Like, I do really appreciate its critique of the United States Army and in particular the way that the government fails to sort of support veterans and their mental health whenever they return from war. I think that's a really interesting conversation that I like to see happen. And I actually think that Tom Holland's pretty good in this movie. I, in my review for the site, I compared Tom Holland in this movie to Timothy Chalamet and Beautiful Boy, although I noted that Beautiful Boy is a better movie than this, which is because that's Whoa. a really low, that's a low bar to clear. <laughs> like, let's be fair. Um, but also, like, that's a better role than this is for Tom. But I do think that he does, like, a a pretty decent job in a really bad film. And I, I also describe this film as being like a Frankenstein's monster of films put together because it feels like there are so many different things going on. And it, it really does have the feel of like one of those student movies that like a college filmmaker makes whenever they're just trying to show that they know how to do different film techniques, like that they know all the different angles that they can use and stuff. Uh, but it feels like two you know proper film directors did that which is honestly just more than anything, I'm confused by this film. Okay. All right. Let's hear (laughs) next from Josh Parham. I find myself agreeing with a lot of what Nicole said. I think the phrase Frankenstein monster is very apt for this movie. It just feels so messy and all over the place. And that to me is my biggest frustration with it. I get the sort of central themes that it wants to explore, but I also feel like it goes so overboard with its style that nothing ever really lands for me. It just feels so kind of all over the place in terms of what exactly it wants to talk about and how it wants to explore that. And I find that it tries to do so much and then ends up saying very little about PTSD and about the military and about the opioid crisis. I feel like it brings them up, but then doesn't really explore them to a very satisfying conclusion. And it's really just style over substance for me. And 
I just found myself really at odds with kind of everything that the movie was doing. I do think that Tom Holland gives a pretty good performance. It's the one thing that I will say he he does not save the movie, but he tries his damnedest, and I give him points for that. And I definitely think that he is good. The problem is just that he is good in a film that it does not meet the level that he is at. I find it to be kind of an empty exercise, to be honest, and was not a fan of it really at all. Okay. Will Mavity. Yeah, I mean, I would second pretty much everything said, everyone said in terms of the over-stylization really detracting from the story. I respect the craft in the sense that Tom Siegel's work as a cinematographer is objectively creative, and the sound in the film is objectively well-mixed. However, good sound and good cinematography aren't supposed to be what you're focusing on the whole film. It's supposed to serve the story. And they don't at all. And little things like the different color schemes, like, oh, the film's called Cherry, so let's make everything lit red the whole time, is so aggressive. So I think that is probably the biggest problem. It is also too long. And no one's talked about her yet, but Sierra Bravo is horrible. Oh my God. I think that is one of the biggest issues that Tom is trying his damnedest, but he has an awful scene partner. There's a scene where she says, I just shit my pants that I just could not stop laughing at. So I think that is one of its biggest flaws. In addition to the fact that the Russos are clearly trying to compensate for the fact that they were known before this as the Marvel directors and the Yumi and Dupree directors. They're like, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at you. So um, those things all work against it. I think it, uh, Matt's going to give it just a tar and feathering. I can't do that in terms of like giving it a one because I do like some of its aspects compartmentalized. But just as a whole, it does not work. I'm actually going to surprise you here, Will, because I am going to start off with the things that I do like about this movie, actually. Um, I agree with what's been said about Tom Holland. I think that he is stretching himself with this movie quite a bit, actually. And I was uh, warming up to his performance more and more. I think he's the worst in the beginning of the movie. He gets better uh, when he goes to Iraq. And then in the third act, when he's back at home suffering from PTSD and becoming a junkie, I think he's at his absolute best. And I'm very uh, surprised by the range that he shows uh, throughout the course of this uh, character's arc. And it's something that I think is really good for his career as he is trying to show people, hey, I'm more than just Spider-Man, which I really appreciate. We also got a little bit of that with the devil all the time, too. Do I think that he is approaching the levels of great actor necessarily? No, but I admire the effort and I notice the effort and I give him props for that, as uh, Josh and a few others here have said so far. I also, in a vacuum, really do like Newton Thomas Siegel's work as well. Uh, he recently got nominated for the ASC uh, Cinematography uh, Award for Best Cinematography, and I do think that, yes, the Russos really give him, like, 
every single trick in the book. Like, it's like those if they said, hey, just go hog wild. This <laughs> is like, do whatever you want. Use whatever filter, use whatever lens, any angle you want to shoot this at, let's do it. And it's like, to Josh's point, it was like, there, there seems to be like almost no thought put into trying to make any of this cohesive. It's just like, let's just throw... Uh, a bag of shit, as you said, Will, like <laughs> at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, but I, I, I will admit there's some very, very creative shots. There were some really well done sequences. Um, I, I can't fault that aspect of it. I think my problem really just comes down to the script. I think that's my biggest issue. And it's for two reasons. One is I think that the dialogue is extremely juvenile. I'm talking like even more immature than something that you would get in Fight Club, which I would argue that for a different generation was also trying to appeal to um, a certain target uh, demographic that this movie is also trying to appeal to in terms of trying to capture how like a certain portion of young you know, male youth is feeling in America right now. And I also think that other than the dialogue just being like extremely not well written, the other aspect of the screenplay is that to Josh's point, it's so long and it doesn't actually say anything new that we haven't uh, like either heard before in other movies or we don't know from just reading the news. It's like, OK, yeah, he's got PTSD. A lot of veterans have PTSD. What is the big ultimate takeaway there? That is something that we haven't heard before or. OK, fine. He's, uh, you know, getting hooked on Oxycontin. There's a lot of people in suburban America that are hooked on Oxycontin. That's why it's called, uh, you know, a crisis. And what 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 does this movie tell us that we don't already know? And the answer is nothing. It's nothing. It's really just an excuse for the Russos to play in their little sandbox with all of their toys and tricks, really. Yeah. Like, for me, it's not even that it says nothing new. I feel like it doesn't even say anything at all. Like, there clearly seems to be a line that it wants to draw between going into war and how the government handles that to dealing with PTSD and the aftermath of it that leads into this addiction. But I don't think the movie ever really brings up what sort of collides those things into each other. And the larger commentary surrounding those ideas just feels like it's never really brought up. It's just presented and it's like, Hey, here's the connection, but okay, well, but what does that connection mean? What are you trying to signify with that? And we can infer a lot from what is being presented within that story, but the script and the directing from the Russos just really missed the mark on that. And I found that to be the most frustrating experience while watching this film. For me, it's kind of like in watching it, I was like, wow, you know, I can tell that the book that this is based on probably really had something to say about all of this. And it got entirely lost in adapting it to the screen. Well, I think that the book is uh, more so this guy was in prison for robbing banks. He is an army veteran who suffered from PTSD. And he wrote this book for over the course of a couple of years while he was in prison. And I think he did it for therapeutic 
personal reasons for himself. And that's the thing is that this this movie feels so personal to its uh, main protagonist, its narrator, uh, who is unnamed in this movie. So I, I guess because the movie's called Cherry, other than the reference to you got your cherry pop today, which was disgusting. I, <laughs> um, I guess we have to call the lead character Cherry. But my point, though, is that the story feels too personal to be speaking to any of these broader topics that are affecting thousands of people all across the country. It is saying something that is not specific to Nico, not in the bank robbery, but certain in the way the VA handles him. But to that point, then it goes back to what Nicole said or whoever said that earlier that, okay, we saw that in American sniper. We've seen that in a lot of movies. Um, I think the big thing with the with the book was that kind of like Hillbilly Elegy, the book. I remember when before Cherry had even come out yet, the book studios were already in bidding wars, and this was shortly after Trump got elected, and there was this whole thing about like we need to understand the Rust Belt, mm -hmm. and I think that was part of what got people so excited, and the fact that he wrote it from prison. You know, it was it was perceived as it was raw and it was gritty and it didn't have a flashiness to that. And yeah. to that end, A, I don't know that anything about that, just like with Hillbilly Elegy, screams this, what makes that book interesting, will work on screen at all. I think both of those don't really lend themselves to the screen because of the exact reason of the very specific reasons that they were they excited people when they were books and b yeah if you are gonna do it it needs people like the grit and this is not gritty it needs to be low budget truly indie and the russos are not the ones to do that the russos have never done grit no i mean this movie as we said before is so slick <laughs> it's so stylized the camera is Really, like, I mean, there are so many slow motion sequences where the camera is so deliberately pay, uh, placed to capture a moment that if they had gone a different route with this, right, if they had uh, not given it such a glossy, shiny uh, look, if they had gone uh, with a grainier, uh, sharper, higher contrast, you know, deeper shadows, shaky handheld cam, like kind of cinema verite style I really do think they could have captured something here that would have uh, been that raw feeling that you're describing. But instead, uh, this movie, it, it, it's it almost represents uh, a, a lot of what I hate about a lot of big studio movies, even though this is not what I would consider to be. Um, Oh, actually, no, it is. It's is it like a 40 something million dollar budget? I mean, this is a big budgeted film, right? Wikipedia says it had a $40 million budget. Yes, but it wasn't made by a studio. Apple acquired it down the line. Ah. So they got financing somewhere, but it was not technically a studio film. Well, I mean, could fool me in terms of how overly produced it is at times. <laughs> I think some of that comes from the fact that it's made by the Russo brothers. Like, yeah. that sort of overproduction, I want to say, is in their wheelhouse. And I also don't want to make it sound like I like hate them as filmmakers because I love their Marvel movies, but I think it's, this has made it very clear that take them away out of that sort of Marvel structure and they don't know what they're doing. I don't think I would have so much a problem with the over stylization, uh, the flashy editing techniques, the, 
overhead camera shots, the slow motion. Like, I don't think I would have a problem with any of it if the dialogue of the screenplay was just a little bit better. When I'm hearing Tom Holland saying lines like, man, I'd really love to fuck this girl. I'm just like, really? Like, come on, we're going to write, you know, dialogue like that? It wants to have its cake and eat it too in terms of critiquing toxic masculinity, but also peddling in it constantly. Yeah. That's one of the biggest issues. And going all in on it too with the vo- with the narrator and then also constantly having those cutaways, like you'll be like, this is Steve. The main thing I know about him is that he likes oh, to say God. fuck a lot. And he'll be like, fuck, 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 fuck. And you just yeah, the or like the one guy at the, um, uh, uh, at, at the recruiting office where he's like, this guy liked to say Joker a lot. I'm like, do we really need that? Like, is that necessary to the plot or anything? It feels like the Russos are almost trying to do um, a bit of like how Scorsese uses narration with those cutaways you know when you think of something like uh, goodfellas or wolf of wall street you know what i mean yeah, yeah and again that makes more sense in i think a story that is less tragic than this one like i can get on board with that in something like jordan belfort's a terrible person but i don't feel bad for him and yeah it's not a sad story in the same way whereas here it's like oh god i mean this is a horrible Oh, yeah. Turn of events by doing that here. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned how kind of immature the movie feels. And I I do think that if the film had kind of reckoned with that within its text, I would excuse it a little bit more because you can almost look at this movie as being from the perspective of somebody who was young and immature and you could say well maybe that's the reason why we're doing it but the problem is that the context especially of the narration is one that is supposed to have a little bit more time removed from these events and there is no reckoning with that perspective it just is presented as is and you see it not only in the writing but when he goes to all the banks and there's those terrible names like shitty bank and you know capitalist bank yeah it's like (laughs) i and it's one of those things where it's like i understand what you are doing but it just feeds into the very basic immature mentality of this movie and without any proper context of like explaining that i just found it to be to be honest, a rather pretentious move that I just really did not jive with. But like I said, I though, when the movie goes for like those high emotion moments, especially with Holland, like I think about the scene where he's in the hospital uh, with Emily. Mm. And I also think about the scene where he's driving in the car in the back seat with uh, Jack Raynor um, and um, oh, gosh, what's that actor's name? Uh, Forrest Goodluck. And I think about just how Tom in those very high stakes, emotional driven moments, like he is the one that is really carrying those scenes through. Uh, But do you guys like agree? Do you guys agree with me or disagree that like the third act of the movie is probably the best because it is so highly like driven by those uh, emotions? I would say I think so. But also by the time I got to the third act, I was so fatigued by the movie that I was just like counting down the minutes until it. Oh, my God, Nicole. There was a point where he was in. uh, uh, I think it was. No. Yeah. He had just gotten home from Iraq and he's got the new house in Ohio and he's suffering from the PTSD. And I remember saying to myself, oh, 
like, you know, we're entering the third act here. Let me check and see the runtime really quick. And it was a hundred. Uh, no, like, I'm sorry, not a hundred. It was an hour and 12 minutes. And it was still an hour and 12 <laughs> minutes remaining. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had the same exact experience. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> this movie has no business being the length that it is. And so I do think that the third act is the best, but like I said, I couldn't appreciate it because by the time I got there, I was like, fuck this. Like, (laughs) I was so done. (laughs) Also, the ending final shot doesn't feel earned to me. Okay, but also... The way they try to show that he's, like, older. Oh, with the mustache? <laughs> the mustache! I spent too much of that in... I literally backed it up because I was just, like, laughing so hard that I missed everything that was be- that was going oh, on. Oh, no, no, no. The the more inexcusable thing was when they took uh, uh, Ciara Bravo and they gave her, like, a gray streak in her hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And she still got, like, this very youthful baby face look to her. I was like, oh, man, no, this ain't working. <laughs> oh, it was it was bad for both. But I do have, like, the mustache truly was something because it just – I just was thinking what they were probably going through. It's like, okay, we got Tom Holland who still looks like he's 12 years old. How do we communicate <laughs> that he maybe seems like an adult? Uh, slick his hair back and put a mustache on him there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think there is some very subtle makeup work on his face, too, at the end. It's very, very subtle, but he looks a little bit more um, gaunt, I, I would say, yeah, sure. um, in that final close-up shot of him. But, man, you know, it's funny because the epilogue of this movie might have been one of my favorite sequences, precisely because of the fact that it had no dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the really good, actually. I do want to give a shout-out, like... Henry Jackman's score wasn't doing it for, mo- for me for most of the movie, but that final... 10 minutes with just yep. the strings. I thought that was really pretty. And I like that. I 100% agree. I mean, it's, you know, conventional storytelling. It's like, okay, he goes to prison. Uh, he suffers from withdrawals. Uh, and I was like, God, if they do like a religious angle with this, I'm going to be so mad. And then uh, it was going through and it didn't do that. And I was like, okay, good, 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 good. And then I was like, Oh man, if they t- if they pull a baby driver on us and this movie just ends with the same way with him walking out of the prison, I'm gonna be so mad. And then of course it does. <laughs> I mean, like, that's what bothers it. me though, because her being back to normal in his shining light and his beacon doesn't feel earned. No. Because last time no. we saw her, she was in a terrible state, and I saw no indication that she was gonna get better. Well, wasn't the idea, like, from her parents' point of view, that if he left her, she would get better? I guess, yeah, but it doesn't scream to me necessarily that they're not going to both fall back into old habits as soon as they see each other. But maybe that's just being cynical. I don't know. That didn't quite feel earned to me. Yeah, I, I think my biggest problem overall was just the fact that the movie was almost two and a half hours long. It was over, and... I just didn't feel like the time was well spent in terms of learning something uh, about these very, very complex and intense subjects that I didn't already know. I, I, I in, a, in that sense, it almost felt like a waste of time. But, you know, I stayed for Holland and I got a lot of Holland. Maybe more than I ever expected to get of the inside of Holland's asshole, even in one shot. Yep. God. More than I ever wanted. More than I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. 
We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. So, you know. (laughs) Uh, God bless him for trying. Seriously, God bless him for trying. Uh, what did you guys think of Jack Rayner showing up uh, in the third act? Uh, you know, I have seen a lot of performances from Jack Rayner, and they range in very good to, like, what are you doing? You are atrocious. And I I didn't really like him in the movie, to be honest. I don't think it's necessarily his fault because his character is, like, rather superfluous, and he doesn't really do that much in the movie. So it's not like the writing really helps him, but he just, I don't know. Rainer in this movie just seems so bland and he just seems like another character to just pad out the runtime. Like, I don't know what his inclusion really gives in terms of like the themes of this movie. Okay. Truly. Like I watched Sing Street for the first time, not that long ago. And I love him in that. Yeah. So whenever he rolled up in this movie, I was like, bing, 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 bing. Finally, they've given me something. And then they proceed to do literally nothing with him. Uh, And I was like, I can't even have that. They truly will not let me have any nice things here. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because they introduce him as basically the one who gives them the safe. And when they break into it, he gets pulled into their plot. But even that doesn't make sense because they present him as like somebody who should be pretty savvy when it comes to his businesses. Why would he trust the two junkies that he knows are terrible with this thing that's really important? So it's like, even from a basic storytelling perspective, that character never really made that much sense to me. Yeah, and that kind of taps into the bigger issue of the film, which is that it's trying to be both farcical and deeply serious at the same time. And that tension just doesn't work at all because even ignoring the fourth wall breaks and stuff, the plotting is supposed to be grounded and make sense, but everything about it, the decisions the character makes, I mean, everybody is a buffoon. Yeah. Rainer's a prime example of that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, you had strong things to say about Sierra Bravo a minute ago. I'd like to hear uh, from Nicole and Josh uh, what you guys thought of her. 
Okay, I literally thought that she was so bad that um, <laughs> I paused the movie at one point to send Matt a video of me imitating her. Um, <laughs> like, and I, I will say a large part of it is that she is being given nothing by the screenplay. Like, she's not a character. She's like an idea of a girl, really. Uh, but I can't decide if she just feels miscast because there is something weird about the fact that the entire film, she looks like she's about 15, which is, you know, off putting to say the least. Well, I mean, both of them have to, you know, be high schoolers and then kind of course through man. Like from what, when does the story start off in 2005 or something like that? Right. 2002. Jesus Christ. And then they have to go all the way to 2021 by the end. So, yeah, but uh. I, I don't I feel like the way to do that is not like, well, let's cast the youngest looking people we can find and yeah. then we'll throw a mustache at them later. Like it would make more sense to do the typical Hollywood thing, which is just to cast someone in there, you know, late 20s and be like, look, they're young. See, they're it's in high fine. school. This is what high schoolers look yeah. like. <laughs> um, but I, I just think that like, A, she's being given nothing to work with. But she also, it feels like there are scenes where she underplays things that should have been more dramatic. And then there's a lot of scenes where she, like, really overacts. Like, she's doing acting, not just a capital A, like, all caps. I think of the scene where he's in the bathtub and she just literally screams fuck you at him. That's what I was thinking about. Screams it. I'm not even (laughs) saying, like, shouting. Screams. High-pitched, like broke a window i'm sure (laughs) like i don't want to be mean but it kind of reminds me of the kind of acting that i did in high school and like school plays um where you're like if i scream this it will show emotion like yeah that's Uh. that's no please don't (laughs) yeah she's uh she's not good in the movie and i think a lot of that is with choices that she makes as a performer that are not great but i do admit that there is a part of me that does want to be a little bit kinder to her because, as we've said, there is, like, nothing to work with on the page. She is an idea of a character, as you said, Nicole. She's not really anything fleshed out. And, you know, a lot of times, bad performances can also be traced to bad directing. And I think that there is not a lot of care with, I think, any of these performances. All of these actors seem to kind of be just doing their own thing. And I think that Tom Holland is good enough that he is able to rise above this material, but I don't really think any of these performances feel like they've been given much attention. And as I would probably say that she is the worst performance in the film, but I also think there is no guidance to that performance either. And I would lay that also at the blame of the Russos. Yeah, I I think that's very true. I mean, it's no surprise that the war scenes in Iraq the bank robbery scenes, that's that's the Russo's bread and butter, right? And that's where they excel the most because, you know, we've seen them do these high octane ener- uh, energy uh, energized, you know, uh, action films with the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that that's where their work comes alive. And then when we get to these small, intimate, dramatic scenes uh, between these two actors, especially, um, 
it, it, it just feels like the movie never really settles into a, a groove so much. And it just needed to be more consistent in terms of uh, their style and also to how much of a roller coaster they were choosing to take us on. Because, man, there's a lot of ups and downs and loops in this thing. Yep. As we said, it's the kitchen sink. It's like any style that you could think of. And not only that, but like any style that you could have thought of in film school is what it really feels like. And it's just all of these choices being made in the filmmaking that are meant to be very flashy. And sure, they are impressive on like a basic technical level. But in terms of what they inform about the story and the characters, it's very, very shallow. All right. So for final thoughts on Cherry, anything that we did not discuss that you want to mention is a hell of a lot of movie here. So I'm sure there's got to be a little thing here or there. Nicole, what about you? Final thoughts on Cherry. So obviously I have a lot of issues with this film, one of which is that I do think that at the heart of it is an interesting story that could have been told. And I think that not only do I just hate all the overstylization for the way that it looks and the way that it is overwhelming, but I also think it massively gets in the way of the story that is there to be told in a way that that story does not come across. I think that it also gets incredibly in the way of Tom Holland being able to give a good performance, as does the script. But, you know, I think he does his best. Uh, I I think this is a film that, like, with different directors, with different writers, maybe could have been something interesting, because I do think that, like, like I said before, I really do admire that it's trying to take on some some interesting topics in a, a slightly new way. But I... I just gotta say, there are moments in this movie, like the use of opera music in scenes. Oh, like the long shot of him on the street in slow motion. God, I hated that. I mean, film um, school. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, do, I, I liked what was going on there in terms of what his character was doing, knowing that he was spent. This was the end of the road, literally. And I I liked that aspect of it. But man, oh, man, at at that point, we're over the two hour, 15 minute mark uh, or or two hour, 10, whatever it is. And it's like this shot is going on and on and on. And by that point, I'm just like, yo, you've just exhausted my patience, my energy, your runtime. Like, just get to it already. You know, I also think that when. In, in a weird way, this film gave me a lot of appreciation for some of the performances in the Russo's MCU movies in that I'm like, wow, they really gave those performances with probably very little help from their directors. So kudos to them because this this movie is so poorly directed. And yeah, like I just if Tom Holland could do a decent movie like anytime soon, I would really appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a little uh, rough for him. I would I would argue outside of the MCU, like he's yep. so, like like it's close. It's getting there. We're we're almost there. He's good. It's not that like he's giving bad performances. He's giving decent performances in bad movies. So yeah, uh, I I yearn for the day when I can see Tom what Holland. What about in that addiction. Holocaust movie Beneath a Scarlet Sky that he jumped onto? Is that ever happening? I don't know. Who knows at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I do respect him for not doing what a lot of the people like Hemsworth and then obviously people like Downey are doing, which is basically like we're exclusively going to stay in franchises. I mean, he's trying to 
branch out and do indie films, but he just keeps picking the wrong indie films. Yeah. 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 I mean, like we said before, I don't know if I would even consider this like indie film with the budget that it had here, but I'm with you. You know, I I, I noticed the effort. After watching this, I was like, man, it's another one of the movies that makes me go, I was too hard on the current war. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Josh Parham, what about you? Final thoughts? Uh, There's two quick things I want to mention. One, that scene at the bar where he meets that drunk Tommy and he like talks with him and then he gives him uh, a ride home. I don't know what the point of was that character. And what really confused me even more is that the character had a New York accent, but they're in Ohio. I just I didn't understand it. It was very confusing to me. And it really took me out the movie. And when you're looking for stuff to take out, it's like that is an easy one right there. Yeah. And. Speaking of things that could be taken out, I do want to very quickly discuss my lowest point of the movie, which was everything at boot camp. I hated mm. every single thing that happened there. As soon as the aspect ratio changed, I knew it's like, oh, God, this is not going to be good. And it isn't. It borrows from every single other boot camp story that you have ever seen. And more than anything else in this movie, this is the part that really feels like it explores really nothing new. I don't feel like there's that much in this section that isn't commented on in the actual war part when they're in Iraq. And it just really was the point where the style and overdirection and the emptiness of its commentary just particularly shone through. And I could have, we could have jettisoned that entire section of the movie and nothing would have been lost. I mean, there's an aspect ratio change. There's red text over the screen when certain characters are speaking. And like you said, Josh, all the style with nothing new to say that we haven't seen before. They could have easily just cut out that sequence and gone straight to him being in Iraq. And we wouldn't have lost anything. Exactly. I mean, when there's a thing. Yeah, I do think. In theory, that sequence, like where you see the guy who tries to hang himself and can't do it. Mm-hmm. In theory, basic, there's things they could have leaned into more to show what systematically broke them, to make them so yes. vulnerable even before they, you know, they experience combat. And that would make more sense playing into where the story goes on later. But they don't really go into that. I mean, you see, like, someone try to commit suicide, and you get an idea that they're being degraded, but they're having too much fun shooting it to actually make that sequence meaningful. Because it, it's there. I'm sure that's why the book spent so much time on basic, but obviously the film doesn't really take that angle. I mean, it's one of, uh, it's one of what, seven, seven sections of the movie, right? Okay, also the bit in it where they're, like, putting the words up on the screen as the the uh, sergeant or whatever is yelling them. Yeah. That's when I truly started losing my will to live. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then so when they're in the oversized clothes. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Get it? They're like children. Oh, that That's the worst, <laughs> most pretentious segment of the movie. Okay, so one thing I want to say about that, when we're talking about things in a vacuum, that sequence is one of the prime examples where the sound is really interesting. I don't disagree. Yeah, they, they overlay multiple different chants at the same time. They also have the different sound effects playing, but kind of distorted. 
uh, with Tom's narration. There's like seven different layers of audio. And that does go into one thing, which is throughout the film, the sound is used really interestingly. The, the first time that Tom sees combat, the camera comes in with a drone shot and the sound is traveling, going through different characters until it meets Tom. And it gradually goes from being very objective to very subjective when it finally hones in on Tom. And I think if you watch, I mean, that's, that's one of the scenes of the Roosters are like, let's do a long take. So it lends itself to that. But the sound in sequences like that and in training is really interesting. I just wish it were in service of a better movie. But I did want to give a shout out to the sound, including in that otherwise pretty annoying training sequence. Uh, Will, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I didn't talk much about Tom, but I did really like his performance. I, I think he has a lot of potential. And I think this movie is kind of a... I like to shit on the concept of auteur theory, at least as applied to a lot of films. And I, I do think that the Roosters are a prime example of people going to see a movie like the Avengers and saying, I like that because of the director is silly. And I think, you know, you look at someone like Taika, they can have an impact, but by and large, you don't like that movie because of the director. And I think Cherry is a prime example. I think a lot of these people, they made Marvel movies. It doesn't necessarily make that mean that's going to translate to better films. So I very wary of the Russos' storytellers. They did nothing. I mean, they made like Yumi and Dupree and I think Welcome to Mooseport before they did the MCU. I mean, there's nothing that screams these people are good directors just because they happen to direct movies you liked. I mean, it reminds me of how we always get a little worried when an indie filmmaker is moving into a big franchise or the MCU and we wonder how their style, their auteurism, as you will, Will, is going to translate over to these big studio projects. And then you get something like this where the reverse is happening, where they work perfectly fine in these large scale settings. I, I think a lot about uh, the comparison with this movie to uh, Michael Bay going off to do Pain and Gain in between his Transformers movies where it was a lower budgeted film dealing with people and less so with these big special effects and, you know, robot characters and what have you, big explosions and such. But it was such an explosion of style still in sleek studio filmmaking. And it's really, really hard if that's your... If that's your thing and that's really all you've been doing constantly, it's hard to kind of shift gears like that in a way where it's going to fully work with the story that you're telling. And I do believe that somewhere within Cherry, there was once an idea, to quote uh, Samuel L. Jackson from the MCU, <laughs> um, <laughs> that Cherry could have actually have spoken to a whole new generation of people across the country we see these shots of these guys that are just sitting around in suburbia doing nothing, bored with their lives, wondering if this is as good as it's going to get. Am I going to be doing this for the rest of my life? Feeling trapped and isolated. So what do they do? They join the army because there's really nothing else for them. And the repercussions of that, like all these ideas are there. I see them. 
it just isn't explored more fully and more in depth in a way that actually provided myself and I know a lot of others who have seen the movie with any meaning or significance outside of what they already knew prior to heading into this movie. So I consider it a big waste of time other than Holland and some of the crafts. Well, I can't deny that the sound is great. I can't deny that the cinematography is great. But at the end of the day, the directors are the ones that are answering, you know, 10,000 questions a day with yes or no and providing their insight into all levels of production. And that's how you get the final movie, right? And this movie is a mess. And there's no way around that. And anyone that wants to argue with me about that, I'm really, really sorry. But I really think you're wrong. <laughs> so the film is a mess. I laid at the feet of the Russo brothers. I do believe that someday uh, they will bounce back from this, I'm sure, because they'll probably be given opportunities for the rest of their careers uh, to do so. And, you know, this will just be a blip on the radar when all is said and done. All right. Great out of 10. Nicole. I'm a two out of 10. Whew. Josh Parm. I'm a three out of 10. Will? Singular, raising the bar. I'm a four out of 10. And I am going to bring us back down. I am at a two out of 10. And I really think it's mostly because of Holland. Oh, yeah. Like my grade. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is mostly because Without of Tom Holland's performance. Yeah. Like one of my one of my two is just that like, oh yeah, his American accent continues to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I thought his phone call scene, I thought he was really good in that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. He is not the problem. <laughs> nope. <laughs> just needs a better movie around him. Okay, so uh we're still in the middle of Oscar season here. Uh nominations are on Monday, so not much time left to talk about this part of it, but heck, MPSC nomination, ASC nomination for this movie. Is Cherry showing up at the Oscars? I don't think so. I think uh, the ASC, they, they Apple actively targeted guild members for that. I mean, they had Lawrence Cher, who shot Joker last year, and the Russos do Q and A's with Tom Siegel and he's a well-known guy in the, in, in the camera world. He shot a lot of movies. The work is very flashy, but I don't think a lot of actual Academy members are going to watch the movie. Um, I did see that a few people like Rod Leary and uh, Sean Baker both tweeted about how much they liked Tom Siegel's work in there, but I just, I don't see that being enough to push it over to an Oscar nomination. And there's usually someone out of the ASC five who misses and then sound. No, the sound work is really good, but those guys aren't part of the club and it didn't get into CAS. It didn't get into BAFTA. So I think it has those two awards to its name and that's about as far as it goes. I agree with that. Mostly. I, there is a part of me, though, that would not be shocked if it does get that cinematography nomination because the work is very, very flashy. I don't think it will. I, I still think that this movie is coming out so late in this season that I still don't think that there's really been the momentum for it to get that. I will also say at the same time, if it does happen, I'm going to be upset that the Siegel gets a nomination 
for this movie and not for Defy Bloods, which is a film that kind of employs some similar techniques as this one, except in some ways that are actually beneficial to the story and themes of the movie that it's working with. And it would make me very upset if this is what he is recognized for in terms of his achievements recently in cinematography. Yeah. And give it and not for drive. I mean, I'm still mad about that. Cause like part of the, the light, part of the thing I think that is interesting in the film is that this does the mid scene lighting changes. Like when he's in the bank, and he's narrating, and the lighting setup completely changes mid-shot. They're literally yeah. doing the drive elevator thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's an extremely talented cinematographer, and he should have a nomination to his name by now. But I, I would just like it to be for a better movie is all. Okay. Anything else? No, I, I think that's really where the movie's going to be in terms of its conversation for awards. I do think if we had two sound categories, maybe it could have made a play for sound editing, but with just one, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. Not not with one category. If it had made both lists, CAS and MPSC, I would I would be more inclined. You know, it's a war film, you know, for a portion of it. So exactly. Okie dokie. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Cherry here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Nicole Ackman, tell them where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16 Will Mavity. Yeah, so Tom Holland stands. Uh, if you want someone <laughs> to yell at, you can find me on Twitter at, at Cody Monster. And I'm <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm on Twitter at <laughs> Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> and Josh Parham. And you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.